We're grateful for Melissa and all the people back at our chapel kids team. They do an amazing work with our kids. Each, If you have kids, you, you've experienced this. If you don't, week after week, we have, we have people back there not just holding babies, but they are ministering and sharing the love of Christ to your kids, and, and it's a powerful thing. So we're grateful for them. I want to start by <clears throat> just sharing a story with you that's... It's a tad bit embarrassing, but you'll understand why. It, it happened a few years ago. It was right after a worship team practice. So we were all up here one evening practicing together, worshiping together, spending time with the Lord together. It was a great evening. I left that night. I was, I was hungry. I was tired. And so on the way home, I thought, you know, I'm going to quick just swing through one of our local uh, fine fast food dining experiences that I will tell you the name of to quick grab a McBurger. And, and as I did, I went through the line. Everything was fine. I pulled up to that second window like we always do. And the person leaned out the window and said the words that all of us hate to hear if we're at a fast food restaurant. They said, could you please pull forward because we'll bring your food out in a moment. And I thought, yeah, right. But I had just left worship practice, so my heart was full of worship, and I said, sure, I'll move forward. So I moved forward. Well, after a couple of minutes of sitting there, that heart of worship started souring a, a bit. And, and more minutes passed, and I became agitated especially as I kept watching the cars behind me get their food and leave one after another, and yet I sat there. And after several minutes, I got upset. Several more minutes, I became angry. Several more minutes, I totally forgot that I was at worship practice, and now I was just upset, and somebody needed to know how I feel and fix this problem right now. So I waited for my opportunity. All the cars behind me had gotten their food and left, and so I put my car in reverse. I backed up to the window. I reached out, and I pounded on the window like this, waiting for the poor soul to answer it so that I could tell them what I thought. Well, here's what happened. This young man opened the window and he stuck his head out with this big smile on his face. And before I even had the chance to tell him of the injustice that had happened to me, he looked at me and he smiled and he goes, Hey, you're the guy from the chapel. <laughs> I felt about this big, to which I responded, No, that was my brother. <laughs> I'm kidding. I said, yes, it is. And then he said, I've been coming to the chapel now for a few weeks. And he's like, I hadn't met you yet. And this is so cool that I get to meet you tonight. And I thought, if only he knew what I was about to do. And here's, here's, here's the thing. that In that moment in our lives, I, I don't just represent Charles. In that moment, I was representing the chapel. And I, and I was about to make our church look really, really bad. And I tell you that story because I imagine at some point in all of our lives we've had those moments. In fact, I had a couple people tell me about their moment after the last service, and it's way better than mine. <laughs> we've all had those, those moments, and, 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 and that's why I'm hesitant to put a chapel bumper sticker on the back of my car. 
That, truly, that is why your bosses and your workplaces and your companies, they have expectations that they give us. They have standards that they expect from their employees. That is why my daughter has to tuck in her Chick-fil-A shirt when she goes to work, because it is a standard that they expect her to follow. Because when we put on clothes, when we put on the uniforms of our workplaces, we are representing what they stand for. We are representatives of them. And even bigger than that, yes, we represent our churches and we represent our workplaces, but you and I as Christ followers are representatives of Jesus Christ and how we live our lives. The principle here is the same. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have to remember that how you live represents Jesus. And if you're not a Christian and you're in this room, wouldn't you want that from Christians? Wouldn't you love to meet a Christ follower who, who said they believe this thing, but then their life reflected what they believe over here? It matched up? Wouldn't that be great? Well, I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4 here. And, and so we want to dive into this today. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bible or open your phone app to Ephesians chapter 4, because in this, in this chapter, we see this whole shift of how Paul is writing. Because in the first three chapters of Ephesians, what we see is doctrinal truth, which is a fancy way of saying we see the things that we believe what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about our faith and about God, those are our doctrinal truths, what we believe. But what we see here in chapter 4 is this shift. It's a shift that goes from what we believe to how that is practically lived out in our lives, the application of what we believe. And this is very, very important for us to understand that we see this shift and that we pay attention to this. And we know that this is the case because of one very important word that Paul starts this chapter off with. What does he start chapter 4 off with? The word, therefore. Therefore. Such a powerful word. That word, therefore, which also means, it, it, it means for this reason, or it means because of. So what Paul's saying here is, look, we have the first three chapters of what we believe, and because of all of those things we believe, he's saying, for this reason, because of this, therefore, he says, look, because we're in Christ, because you and I have received heavenly blessings, because you and I are saved by grace, through faith, because we are citizens of the house of God, because we are strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit, because we know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, and because we know that God can do far more abundantly than we could ever think or ask, because of those things, he's saying, therefore, now, this is what we must do. This is how we live our life. We, we, we look at that, and what must we do? Well, I'm going to hang out in the first verse of Ephesians chapter 4 for a little while, so there's no need to turn anywhere else in your Bible, but this is how he says it. Therefore, I, a prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you 
to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Because of what God has done for us, Paul begs us here to lead a life that is worthy of our calling. This is a big ask. Paul's asking us to do something that's, that's, that's huge here. And so in order to get this right, in order to really understand what Paul's asking us to do, let's just break it down a little bit and let's, let's look at a couple parts of this verse. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. I love that he includes this, that he's a prisoner for serving the Lord because he defines who he is by his current situation. And I pray you and I never have to experience what he has experienced. But the truth of the matter is, is that Paul is literally in prison for serving the Lord. And he lets us know about this twice here, that he is a prisoner and he's begging us to do something that he is doing himself. He never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done. And I love this because you and I know in our lives, we're often asked to do things by people that would never do what they're asking us to do. And how does that make you feel? Let me give you an example. Your boss. Your boss at work says things to you like, that's why I hired you so that I don't have to do that. I don't need to do that anymore because you're here. You hear things like that, and I wonder, does that motivate you? Does that inspire you? Does that make you feel like your boss is a great leader? I, I doubt it. I doubt it. And, and the same is true when it comes to the Christian life. We can't ask someone to do something or to go somewhere we haven't already done ourselves. If I'm going to stand up here and say, church, you need to be in the word of God, then guess what? I better be in the word of God. If I'm going to encourage my friends, you know what? You should pray about that. Then guess what? I should be praying about that too. We have to do what we're asking others to do. And Paul does this. He says, look, I'm, a, I'm in prison for serving the Lord. It's going to get hard. And when it does, keep serving. When things get complicated, when things are a struggle, when life gets tough and uncomfortable, Paul says, keep serving. I, Paul, a servant, am in prison. So I love this encouragement he gives us. But then he goes on to say, look, I'm a prisoner, yes, but I beg you to lead a life. This is strong language by Paul. I beg you, he says, in another translation called the English Standard Version, it translates this by saying, I urge you to walk. So whether he's begging us to live a life or he's urging us to walk, the, 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 the whole thing with this is it implies movement forward. It implies that Paul is saying, look, keep walking Keep moving, keep living a life, keep maturing, keep growing, keep learning, keep doing those things because of what you believe in the first three chapters. Don't be stagnant in your faith now. Put it to practice and keep moving. And he's begging us here to do this, I think, for one very good reason, and this is a reason that I am speaking from experience now. It's easy to stop walking. Isn't it? I mean, when, when life gets hard, when we hit struggles, when stuff happens that's uncomfortable, isn't there times that you just go, this is too hard. I don't, 
Why am I doing this? What is the point of this? I'm not, I, this doesn't feel good. I should just, I'm just done. And you just stop. That's, we have those tendencies. I'm, I'm speaking from experience there. We are tempted to stop. We lose breath. We get tired. That is why I think the, he, the writer of Hebrews says this way. He says, run with endurance the race that has been set before us. Run with endurance. Keep going. And then he says, keep your eyes on the prize. Don't lose sight. Keep running. Paul says, look, don't stop. Keep going. This is exactly why the mission statement here at the chapel has always been that we want to help people move one step closer to God and to each other through Christ. It's all about one step closer forward. No matter where you are in your journey, if you're just beginning a relationship with the Lord or you've been following God for a long, long time, what's your next step? One more. Keep going. Don't stop. Paul says, if you're going to believe this thing over here, then let's put it into practice over here. Keep going. But then he says, okay. He says, not only do I I beg you to lead a life, but beg you to lead a life that is worthy. That's a powerful little word there, worthy. Because what what does it mean to live a life that is worthy? You and I can live our lives in many, many different directions, but to live lives that are worthy, that's a specific direction. So let's just take a quick look at what this word means. It can mean a couple different things. The first thing it can mean is to have equal weight. Let me give you an example. If there's two sports teams playing each other, or maybe even you're playing a game at home, and and, and you're competing to win, you would say, that person or that team was a worthy adversary. They were a worthy opponent. Meaning that, that group of people or that team or that person, they were in equal fight with us. They had the skills that we have. They were the same. We were matched equally. That's what it means to be a worthy opponent. And Paul is saying, look, you believe this stuff over here. Now give equal weight, live a life worthy over here. It has to be equal. And I say it has to be equal because here's what happens if it's not equal. If we live a life solely based on what we believe, but our actions don't match it, then our faith is dead. It means nothing. People who hear us say one thing, but then act another way, that doesn't mean anything to them. Vice versa, if we live a life over here that's just good, we're just good people, but there isn't anything to back it up. There's no belief behind it. There's nothing to do with Jesus. Then we're living lives called empty moralism. Either way, it's a struggle. It needs to line up what we say we believe with what we act, equal practice. The second meaning for this word worthy, yes, it means equal, but it also means becoming. This is kind of an older term that, that, that maybe you've heard, but if somebody's wearing a nice outfit or they have on their Sunday best or whatever, you say, oh, that, that's becoming on you. That outfit looks good. It's fitting. It's proper. It's attractive. It's becoming. Right? In other words, to lead a life that is worthy means that we live lives that are fitting. 
of what we believe. They're tra- it's attractive. It's becoming. It matches. This is what authenticity means. This is why one of the values here at the chapel is to live authentic lives. We want to see what we believe is how we live. And non-Christ followers in this room, wouldn't that be great if Christians did that? If you're not a follower of Jesus in here, I wonder if you've ever experienced a Christian saying something over here, but then acting a different way over here. And doesn't that turn you off? What? That's what it means to be authentic. And what we believe is how we, we live. It's honoring to God. But Paul goes on to say, hey, it's not just living a worthy life, but worthy of what? Of your calling. What's your calling? All of us try to figure out what our calling is, and most of the time when we talk about that, we think in terms of of our vocation. What is our work? What is our hobbies? What do we like to do? Those are our callings, the things that we really, really like. And, And we talk about, but the same thing is true in our spiritual life. What is your spiritual calling? in life. Well, I can tell you if you're a Christ follower, your spiritual calling in life is a summons to bear the name of Jesus. Your life bears the name Christian, Christ follower, however you want to put it. You have put on that jersey of the team. You have slipped on the wedding ring saying, I am with this person. I am committed to this and I want everyone to know. That is what it means to bear the name of Jesus. That's why last week eight people took steps of baptism right up here in the front of the room. Then, and when they did, they acknowledged that I am with Jesus and I want everyone to know it. That is what it means. That is our calling to bear the name of Jesus, and which leads me to say, well, I wonder who's called. Who, who are those that are called? Well, simply put, those who respond. Those who are called are the ones who respond. The disciples were called by Jesus to follow him. Paul, the writer of this book in Ephesians, was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And you and I are are called to repent and believe for the salvation of our sins. And when we answer that call, something special happens. We are adopted into God's family. You and I become adopted into His family. We become sons and daughters. And Paul's begging us to live this life that is worthy of our calling. In fact, he said, he begs us to bear the name of Jesus that gives proper, equal weight to what we believe and how we live as we continue to journey this life together. And he begs us to do this for a big, big reason. Because your kids need you to. Because your husband and your wife need you to live this way. Because your community and neighbors and workplaces need you to live this way. Because the world, the entire world, needs us to live this way. This is, this is a big calling. 
We need to live this way. And so can I ask you this morning, when you look at your life, is this how you're living? Is this how you're leading your life? Maybe you're not sure. Which is why I love Paul, because he gives us a couple ways we can kind of be sure if this is how we're living our life or not. And so he gives us three things I want to look at. One is he says that, look, if you're leading a life that is worthy of your calling, that means that you are committed to unity. You're committed to unity. Listen to how he goes on in Ephesians. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. If we are going to be people living lives that are committed to unity, these are the things that need to be present. He says, always be humble, always be gentle, be patient, make allowance for each other's faults, strive for unity, live in peace, give God all the glory for all of these things. If we are bearing the name Christian, and that is our calling, then we need to live lives committed to unity. Committed to unity. But there's a second thing Paul gives us. He goes on to say, yes, live lives committed to unity, but he also says if you're going to lead a life worthy of your calling, that means using your God-given gifts. Let, let Let me simplify this. That means... Do your part with what you have. If you've been given something, use it. Do your your part. I mean, listen to how Paul goes on. He says, however, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. I love this because those God has called, he generously gives gifts. Now, Paul, in this particular section of Scripture, he's listing out some of the roles meant for the church specifically. And I love this because they are so important because when we use our gifts in in the church in this way, two things happen, he says. He says, one, that we will equip God's people to do his work. And the second thing is, is, he says, we will build up the church. Two amazing things. And I love how he acknowledges these roles here because when he does, he's saying, look, God has given you gifts and abilities to use. And when you do, you know what happens? That's so cool. You become a gift yourself to the church. When you use your gifts and abilities, you become a gift. I absolutely love that. And not only do we become a gift, but it builds the people and the church up. It's such a phenomenal thing. When we use our gifts to equip God's people and we are gifts to others. If bearing the name Christian is our calling, then we need to do our part. Live lives committed to unity, do your part. And there's a third thing Paul tells us that we should do. He says, look, if you're going to lead a life worthy of your calling, that means to embrace your new life 
in Christ. Let, let me simplify this. It means treat others differently. It means your life should look different. It means how we act, how we respond, how we treat others. It should look different. In fact, this is what Paul says. Isn't what you learned about Christ since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him? Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. He says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You and I, as Christ followers, we have a new nature. I have the Spirit of God living inside of me, and so do you. And if that is true, then we are to live lives with that reality. We are to live lives worthy of that reality that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And Paul ends this chapter letting us know how we can do that. What are some do's and don'ts? If we're going to live in this new nature, what does that look like? Well, let me highlight some of these things that Paul gives us. In chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Stop telling lies. Tell your neighbor the truth. We're parts of the same body. Verse 26, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for angry gives a foothold to the devil. Verse 28, If you're a thief, he says, Quit stealing. Instead, your hands are for good hard work and give generously. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. I love the word there that Paul uses. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says, stop hurling rotten fish out of your mouth at people. It stinks. I, love, I got a kick out of that. Verse 30, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And then the last verse, he says this, instead, instead of those things, he says, be kind to each other. Be kind, tenderhearted towards each other. He says, forgive one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. He says these things, and really in all these things that Paul says, he's just echoing what Jesus has already told us to do, to treat others the way we want to be treated. Because as a Christ follower, my life is no longer about me alone. It, it, it's different now. My, I'm a part of a new humanity. I, I am part of a new family. I am part of a new citizenship. I am part of the church. And my life needs to reflect that in a powerful way. Because remember, if you are a Christian, then you are representing Jesus by the way you live. Paul said, therefore, therefore, because of these things... Lead a life worthy of your calling. Give it proper and equal weight to what you believe and how you live. May those things match up so that you can be authentic. Be committed to unity. Be committed to using your gifts and embrace this new life. And as we do these things, boy, the world will know. They won't be able to deny. So let me... 
let me give you just a couple of things to try this week. First, I'm going to ask you this. Read Ephesians 4 multiple times this week. In your chair time, in your time with the Lord, I'm going to ask every day that you would just read Ephesians chapter 4 over and over again. And here's why. Because when you read Ephesians chapter 4 over and over again, things will start to come out that you hadn't noticed before. You'll start to see things and hear things that maybe you didn't notice the first time. The, the Lord will begin to pull things out that, that you will notice. That you may even work on your heart a little bit to begin changing you as you read that chapter over and over this week. And as you read that chapter over and over, and as the Holy Spirit starts working in you and making adjustments with you and helping you to see things you hadn't seen before, as that happens, ask these three questions. Ask yourself, does my character show that I am committed to unity? Is the way I live committed to unity? Is the way I speak, the way I treat others, is the things that I post on social media, are they representative to showing that I am committed to unity? Ask yourself that. Ask yourself this. What gifts has God given me and how can I use them? And I tell you this, if you're saying, I'm not real sure what you mean by gifts, and I don't even know what mine are and if I've been given them. If that's true, I want to encourage you, go to our website, our church's website, and we have a spiritual gift survey you can take. It's just some questions that ask you to help you begin to really understand and, and figure out what is my gift and, and how can I use it. It may give you some direction in that area. So I want to encourage you to do that this week too. And the last thing, I want to encourage you to ask, in what ways can I embrace my new life I have in Christ? In what ways is my life different now than it was before? I hope that the eight people that were baptized in this room last week are asking that exact question today. What is different now than it was before? And how will my life reflect that? Such a powerful, powerful charge Paul gives us. And I'm grateful for it. May our lives match what we believe so that the world will know. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. I thank you for what this letter from Paul. I thank you for the, the, the kind of the change this week. Lord, the charge he's given us to truly live out what we believe, Lord. And, and I love when we do that, God, that, that people who don't know you can see you in a different way. And so help us with that, Lord. And, and then the times that we fail, the times we've made mistakes, thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness. Lord, help us. We want to be more and more like you every single day. Help us keep taking those steps. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, stand with me. Let's say our benediction together as we leave out of Ephesians 3.20. Here we go. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Have a great rest of your day.